Hello and welcome to the most excellent 80s movies podcast. It's the podcast where a filmmaker, a comedian, and their fabulous podcasting improviser guest uh, joke their way through the 80s movies we think we love or might have missed with these our modern eyes. And today we're talking about Who Framed Roger Rabbit, a movie selection from 1988 about which Letterboxd says... It's the story of a man, a woman, and a rabbit in a triangle of trouble. Toon star Roger is worried that his wife Jessica is playing patty cake with someone else, so the studio hires Detective Eddie Valiant to snoop on her. But the stakes are quickly raised when Marvin Acme is found dead, and Roger is the prime suspect. That's not actually an accurate description of what happens in the movie. <laughs> It is inaccurate. Um, but the important thing is that uh, we are here to talk about this wonderful movie from 1988. I am Chrissy Lenz, uh, one of the directors and a performer at the Neighborhood Comedy Theater in downtown Mesa, Arizona. And with us, as always, is... Uh, I'm Nathan Blackwell. I'm an independent filmmaker um, uh, and my 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 legend for um terrible self-introductions is well known yes he's an award-winning and i always have to put in the award-winning part um but uh have you won any more awards since the last time we talked yes um (laughs) well technically well technically the movie won an award um and and so i guess that since i directed the movie then i also get the award but i don't own the award the award is somewhere else oh okay all right that's fine if you owned all the awards and had them all with you there would be too many awards yeah i'm I'm honestly not big on displaying awards it always feels like a little weird to me like to have like a big like you know award thing like behind me yeah so i don't know i think you should have one i think you should invent one I, i keep a couple um but uh yeah most of once you like... start doing like zoom interviews on like you know uh, uh for you know tv shows and stuff you're gonna have to have some sort right. of yeah. backdrop I'll, I'll, I'll buy some fake awards <laughs> fake awards there you go throw yeah. in a few yeah. movie posters it'll look good mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah th- there was this one scene from a script that uh, i i really like you know the scripts had had some structural issues but there was a scene that i i liked where one character was showing him around the house and he came into, um, uh, you know, into one room and there's like literally like 200 trophies. And it's like, Oh, you know, this, this character is not amounted to much. It's like, Oh my God, this is, this is wow. Uh, this is amazing. Uh, what are these for? It's like, huh? Well, the, these trophies I'm trying to read. What, like, what are these for? They don't, this, this one doesn't have a plaque. No, I, I make trophies. <laughs> I, I liked it. I like it. And then they leave um, quietly. So what I have a I had a very embarrassing experience once where I made a short film for a comedy festival that was about winning awards and it was the award for best awards and so we uh-huh. made this like little short video about it. Um, and they made it seem like everybody who participated in this festival was going to make a short a video based on awards, like uh, with awards as the theme. And then it mm-hmm. turned out ours was the only one. <laughs> so it seemed like 
we made this video and insisted they play it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which I think was I not the case. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which was not the case. Um, anyway, the other voice that you heard that you may not have recognized, or you may have recognized if you listen to any of my other podcasts, is our guest for tonight, who is a also a performer. Or I should let you say what you do. It's Nate McCorder, everybody. It's me. It's I broke like the the cardinal rule of podcasting, which was talk before you're introduced. Uh, I, nice. I like felt it immediately as soon as I did it. So, <laughs> uh, uh, but, but, but there's yeah. also a curve. Like once you're really successful, then you can talk before. Right. But I'm not that successful. Uh, no, I'm just uh, uh, someone who who does uh, comedy at the neighborhood comedy theater in downtown. Mesa, Arizona, and also records an ex- most excellent podcast called Gank That Drink with you, Chrissy, and I am very excited to be here. I have not been on this podcast in quite some time. The last time I was on, we talked Young, Young guns. guns. Oh, my God. That yeah. was like our, like our fourth episode or something. <laughs> yeah. It was a long and time we ago. we hated it. We hated it that so was the, much. I think at this I think that's the lowest rated movie that we've ever mm-hmm. watched I on I think here. it is our most hated movie. Young it Young. was rough. So I'm glad yeah. to be back for a beloved film. Yes. Yes. So beloved. Um, so 1988, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Is this a, a childhood favorite for you, Nate McCorder? Uh, it, yes, it absolutely is. Also, thanks for having a double Nathan episode. I, I always <laughs> yeah. love a double Nathan episode. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, my mom showed it to me. I think I was probably like a little younger than Rocket. So I don't think I watched it. I was exposed to it till, you know, I was old enough to get, you know, a good chunk of the jokes. I think my parents mm-hmm. were pretty smart and like not. I think this is a movie you could show to a younger kid and mo- and a lot of the stuff's going to go, you know, way over their heads. But I think my parents waited till like a good perfect age to kind of actually let me see this movie. And uh yeah, I've probably seen it anywhere between like 20 and 30 times in my life. Oh, and oh, even though I like have seen it that many times, I watched it again just cuz I was like heck yeah. Like it's yeah. a it's a I say the words along with the movie movie. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, what about for you, Nathan Blackwell? Uh, yeah, I definitely remember seeing this a whole bunch. I remember seeing it in the theater. Um, I remember that the joke that got the biggest laugh in the theater was um, at the end where freeways traffic jams will be a thing of the past. Yeah. And then all the adults who brought their kids just howled at that one. Um, yeah, this was definitely beloved. Um, but it was also fun because I probably haven't seen it in like 15 years, Mm -hmm. you know, like I've seen it well over a dozen times, you know, a classic, uh, but it, it, there was a lot of moments that were fresh on this viewing, which was it's which is always fun. You always try to you you know you chase that feel like you wish you could like you know erase your memory and then rewatch a certain movie for the first time. Sometimes, you yeah. Know? And and sometimes I'll purposely just not rewatch a movie that I loved, or at least maybe had like an emotional impact 
maybe less for comedies and more kind of like, oh, it ripped my heart out. I love it. You know, and then you want it to keep having that power and maybe you don't see it for a couple of years. Mm. Is there a recent movie that you would say has had that effect? Because I do the opposite. I If I see a movie that has an impact <laughs> on me, I want to watch it again right away. So uh, mo- right. the most recent movie that I wanted to watch as soon as possible again was Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm. Yeah, I, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, yeah, nothing else comes to mind because um, I'm getting older and my ma- my memory is terrible. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Who framed Roger Rabbit? So we open on a cartoon and there's a cartoon baby who is, of course, in danger. And uh, Roger is uh, in charge of watching this baby. And the cartoon is just a festival of injuries to Roger. Uh, but at the very end, a whole uh, refrigerator comes crashing down on his head and the door opens and Roger has screwed up because instead of seeing uh, uh, stars like he's supposed to, he's seeing little blue Tweety birds. So the take is mm-hmm. ruined. Oh, Roger, you screw it up. You big screw up and realize that this is a, uh, a cartoon movie set and we are at a movie within the movie. Like all movies. Apparently that was all done in one shot. Like mm-hmm. not yeah. how movies mm-hmm. are done. Like those hundreds of shots that we saw was apparently just one take and they've got to redo it all from the beginning. Just like back to one, everybody. It was was a Rube Goldberg scene, right? It was a Rube Goldberg Uh, machine of a scene. And yes, about everyone back (laughs) to it again. Back to first position. But I think it was, I, I love the beginning of this movie and I I love this because they kind of like, we're going to do one shot one time in this movie. We're going to, get to make a cartoon like yeah. straight up. We're going to get to make a cartoon and they gave it 150%. They gave it every single bit. Uh, and it just, the movements, the animation, everything is so like classic and vintage Looney tunes. It's immediately nostalgic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely, yeah. I, I could watch it a hundred more times. Just the opening <laughs> sequence. It's so and, good. And, and in five minutes, we we immediately know what Roger Rabbit his his where he sits in the entertainment world what kind of stories he makes mm-hmm. we we immediately are transported to that time you know in, in the uh, in the 40s yep and when we cut out we um, we when we see the director and how he interacts with everyone we see that tunes are real and how they actually shoot their stuff is real as in it's not drawn they have tunes acted out we know we know how they treat him and we feel bad for him and we also know and we also meet Eddie Valiant and we see his reaction to all this Ooh. and so we we've got all that and it's like it's literally like 5 minutes and 20 seconds in it's just so effective it's quick and clean it's a quick and clean intro to this movie yeah. and Game over uh, yeah yeah, this is Eddie this Valiant. is Robert Zemeckis. This is Robert Zemeckis right after yes. Back to the Future. Yeah, and so yeah. At, at Prime this point, Zemeckis. Yeah, this is prime. This is vintage Prime Zemeckis. <laughs> <laughs> 
so Eddie Valiant is a uh, booze-drenched, hard-boiled, noir detective who we get the impression hates tunes, is not amused by tunes, doesn't want to be around tunes. Uh, and he gets the assignment from uh, the head of the studio, whose name I can never remember. R.K. R.K. Maroon. R.K. Maroon. Uh, he gets the assignment to go take pictures of Jessica Rabbit uh, at the Ink and Paint Club and try and get some dirt on Jessica Rabbit mm-hmm. at the Ink and Paint Club that night. So we get to see the tunes doing stuff, funny stuff around town. We get to see the humans interacting with the tunes, which is a huge part of this movie because, as you said, the tunes are real. They're just part of this world. Uh, Eddie rides home on the back of the red car. It looks just like Buena Vista Street in uh, um, in Disneyland, in Disney's <laughs> California Adventure Park. Yeah. It looks exactly the same. Yeah. And they have the red car that drives around there. And um, that's one of my favorite scenes. It's always been one of my favorite scenes because it, there's like 19 jokes packed into the, the him hopping on the end of this red car. But it also there's so much exposition in it too, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I love the line. You know, the you know we could, L.A. We've got the greatest public transportation system <laughs> in the world. Who needs a car in L.A.? Which of course, like we all know, even by 1980, everyone needs a car when they live in L.A. Uh, mm-hmm. And and it sets it up. But then my favorite joke is when he gets off the trolley and he goes, "Hey kids, thanks for the cigarettes." <laughs> <laughs> like he just bumps uh-huh. cigarettes on these kids. <laughs> oh, and again, that's just such great character building in like mm-hmm. such great subtle ways. Uh, and we're really yeah. getting to know Mr. Valiant here. Uh, and I, yeah, I've always I've just had a very huge fondness for that scene for some reason. Yeah. Because that's a hilarious line. Thanks for the cigarettes, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks mm-hmm. for the cigarettes, kids. And, and like, and, and it- and even though it's like a joke, like the the whole idea about transportation in L.A. And we remember it because it was a funny joke. But that's kind of the plot of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it is the plot of the movie is I mean, we're they're very much it's it's Chinatown, right? That's yeah, the, the exactly. movie we're, we're riffing here. Yeah. Is, so it's all which was all about water in L.A. And mm-hmm. this is all about trans like transportation in L.A., which we yes. mm-hmm. we all know is a big effing deal you know yeah um but yeah yeah i that i love that gag that's so good so then his next stop is a bar where his like sort of girlfriend dolores works and we learn that he's borrowed money from her uh and she needs to put it back in the till before her boss finds out but it seems like she owns this bar we never see the boss do we no i I at one point we see, and this is like later on in the movie, but you see like the frame of her and his brother, and they're out front of the law office or the not the but the PI office, right, with the plaque on the wall, and it says like mm-hmm. two schmoes and a floozy or whatever go into business mm-hmm. together. So then I was like, wait, do they also own the bar? That I don't, I, I, I guess not, because she when she quits at the end, she says, I don't want to stuff olives the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Or whatever, I wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. But you've only been. Yeah, it's not your whole life. You've only been doing it for five yeah. five years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. My my guess is that she worked as like the secretary for their mm-hmm. law office. Okay, and then when 
when the brother died and basically Eddie climbed into a bottle, she yeah. basically had she to find employment. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but yeah, it seemed like she really ran the bar. Sort um, of single-handedly. Basically, yeah. yeah. Uh, we do learn at this point that uh, Eddie doesn't work for tunes because a tune killed his brother and dropped a piano on his head. So we're just getting ex- exposition left, mm-hmm. right, and center. So he goes uh, to the Ink and Paint Club. He meets Marvin Acme. He gets squirted with some ink. Uh, but don't worry, because it's disappearing ink. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, there are two ducks doing dueling pianos. Yeah. It's, uh... and, we, and we can't understate the significance of this moment where... Daffy Duck and Donald Duck are on the same stage. This is like the beginning of the expanded universe. You know, yeah. this is this is like two like you couldn't get two bigger companies that didn't like each other, like Warner Brothers and Disney. And the fact that these characters were interacting with each other like they lived in the same like expanded universe, that was like seismic. Like, you know, that was like the like there wasn't going to be another moment like this for twenty years, you know. Um, it was the first multiverse, right? Exactly. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. It was and, invented here, kids. And it was it was also considered to be like um, like a legal impossibility. Like you would have like ninety nine lawyers um, saying there's no way you could do it. And as far as I understand it, the only way they were able to pull it off was because of Steven Spielberg. Yeah. That he basically he can do anything. Steven yeah. Spielberg can do anything. We'll trust, we'll trust our IP, any IP with Steven Spielberg. Uh-huh. He can have it. Uh, I think, and still to this day is the only time Mickey and Bugs have ever appeared on screen together, right? Is there is there another I I think it's the only time. If I'm Yeah, I don't know. I can't. Can't think Unless of what other was, event uh, would. Because yeah. there have been other times when other uh, IPs of, of those two have been on, but not specifically Bugs and Mickey. I think the two like kind of mm-hmm. uh, flagship mm-hmm. characters for Stars. both of them have, oh, yeah. have appeared. So, yeah, no, it is absolutely huge. But that, that first moment with Donald and Daffy and the piano bar and like, I want to go to this club mm-hmm. this like speakeasy in the alley with the monkey uh, b- uh bouncer the gorilla bouncer like i want to be there i want betty boop to come walking up mm-hmm. like i've always wanted uh, you can keep your star wars cantina disneyland <laughs> i put into put this bar this speakeasy somewhere in toontown make it one of those special secret places you got to pay way too much money to go to like the bayou right this mm-hmm. is that's the yeah, that's what uh, call up Disney right now. We're gonna make this place because that's oh. I've always wanted to go to this place. That's awesome. And it's not just because of Jessica Rabbit's review. That's that is <laughs> but I guess me. I'll stay. Yeah, but you know I mean it's, it oh it would be weird if I get up and <laughs> out right as soon as it um and I love I love how much like you know Eddie hates all tunes. All of them are just grating mm. on him but I love how he respects betty boop like she she's a mm-hmm. you know, like i i can't take any bras but man she's a classy lady you yeah. know I, I i love that little moment with her you know he's the first tune that he talks to with any respect and one of the few like for a while for sure uh i love the i love on the rocks is one of my favorite jokes in this movie 
Um, and I, and <laughs> I, I mean, mean ice. ice. <laughs> and just, and then of course they bring it in rocks. Like they weren't going to not. Uh, right. And that's that can be a thing in the in the restaurant. You can buy those little like they're like look like rocks that are ice cubes. You would serve every With drink in those. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we do get to see Jessica Rabbit's very sexy uh, singing song, and uh, we get to see her interacting with the humans, uh, like pulling on Eddie's tie and rubbing a cloth on Marvin Acme's head. And so I think that's really neat, the way they show the tunes impacting the real world um, mm-hmm. and the real world reacting to the tunes. So uh, Eddie gets himself bounced out of the bar. Uh, And he ends up in the alley where he does take pictures of Jessica Rabbit playing patty cake with Marvin Acme. And so I was watching this movie with my Mm 13-year-old son, Rocket. Mm -hmm. And he was instantly propelled into puberty. (laughs) He was like... (laughs) He was like... Do they mean sex? And I was like, no, they're literally playing patty cake. That's that's the joke is that it's supposed to make you think they're having sex, but it's they're just mm-hmm. playing patty cake. They, it sounds like they're continually reusing, continually using euphemisms. And then she yep. played patty cake. Oh, my God. Look at all this patty cake. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So that was pretty funny. So, so we have to talk about Jessica Rabbit before we proceed. OK, very well. Talk about Jessica Rabbit. Yeah, um, there, there's, I guess, there's a couple, like, there's seminal moments in cinema history. Um, Maybe they'd only come by every three or or so years that instantly propelled young men, young boys into young men. (laughs) You know? Um, And and I feel like Jessica Rabbit uh, was one of those characters, you know? Yeah. and you know it, it's interesting because the the whole concept around her uh, was that Zemeckis specifically wanted her to be the ultimate male fantasy, as drawn by a cartoonist. Mm-hmm. You know, and so her overt sexuality, her her you know, uh, buck over the top buxom appearance was very much um, designed to have a meta level to it, you know, which I think mm-hmm. was all, you know, it's like her, her, like maybe the most classic line in the whole thing is that I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Yeah. Voiced by Kathleen Turner, who we love, who has mm-hmm. the sexiest voice of anyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that, Jessica Rabbit is, I mean, it's not just, I mean, I, yes, how they drew her and the way the allure of her is uh, obviously, yeah, like everything is, but it's also the fact that one, at every point the movie tries to like frame, either frame her or make her seem like she's either unfaithful or that she is going to murder Roger. She's in on it. Like for the most of the movie, it's like trying to turn your ire towards her almost. But at every point she turns out faithful. She turns out supportive. She protects Roger in the end. Like she's, she's just overall like a badass. In and general. she loves him. She truly and she loves, loves him. him, right? And that's like, and he makes me laugh. It's one of my favorite lines in this movie. Like, it's 
uh, it's I think that there's so much more to her than uh, just the you know how she's drawn and and everything, which is what I love. Is it could have just been yeah. that. Right. It yeah. could have just been the overt sexuality and the, oh, yeah, this is how cartoonists would draw a very, but it's just kind of, there is a lot of depth to the character of Jessica Rabbit. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. they specifically want to reverse your expectation. They, they want to leap, make you think so much into this one direction. And if you only, you know, and then, and then you don't get all the positives from her. If you only know her through cosplay, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and yeah, they she is a deliberate device to to flip your expectations. Uh, which and she does great, and she's a um a, a fine example of a character. Uh, but she does look like uh just sex on a plate uh so yeah yeah it's possible they went a little far but um but you know so what's interesting is that they didn't finalize her design until after the movie was shot and there's a a a scene where they're looking at the newspaper and it's it where where um what's his name has died and they've got her photo in acne yeah, her her character design in that photo is different. Huh. Oh. It doesn't look like it almost looks a little more like you know, her, like her hair almost looks a little more like Ariel from hmm. the Little Mermaid. Yeah, I'd go back and see if you could it, spot that. It's when it's in the physical newspaper, when it's something that they had to to shoot in the movie on that day. Oh. Okay, interesting. I will go back and look at that. Um, so yes, the newspaper does reveal that once Roger Roger's been informed that Jessica has been playing patty cake on him, but he's like, "No, we're gonna work this out. We're gonna be happy again. Don't you worry about me and Jessica because we're still in love." And uh, Marvin Acme is killed. He's murdered. A safe is dropped on his head, and of course, Roger is the number one suspect. Uh, we meet Judge Doom. Whose uh, men are? He's he's a judge, but somehow he's also a crime scene investigator, and his minions are all weasels, who are cartoons. They're cartoon weasels. Uh, it's Christopher Lloyd. He's looking very weird, and he <laughs> uh, he has this invention called Dip. So he's like the judge. He's the crime scene investigator. Investigator. He's the judge. He's the jury. He's the executioner because he murders a shoe uh, by dunking it into his invention, which is dip. It's like turpentine and uh, something that can kill a tune. It's the only way to kill a tune is to soak them in this dip. And he just murders. It's the most upsetting part of this movie. Yes. It's the most upsetting scene in this movie. Yeah, because it's like a little puppy or kitty. And everyone just stands there and watches it. Even other tunes. And it's, Uh you know. And they're all complicit. Yes, they are. (laughs) Those weasels. They are all complicit. (laughs) Yes. It it just, it's so unsettling. I, even in this watch, I'm like, I could, oh, I could skip Mm -hmm. past this. It's Mm -hmm. so, but it's because Christopher, and part of it is because Christopher Lloyd is terrifying. He's so scary. But he's so they make him look so tall and and impending and uh, uh, especially compared to like Hoskins, you know, he's just they make him look so short Mm -hmm. and stout. Uh, And I just 
it, but it's also one of my favorite Christopher Lloyd roles. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, he's so good. I I heard Tim Curry audition for the part and he was too frightening. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. I could see. I could see yeah. that. Um so I this may not make make the podcast but I just texted you both the uh the image of Jessica Rabbit the different there's like the photo and then the newspaper. Oh. Yep, that is a blink and you miss it uh reveal. Yeah. She does look more like uh Ariel. She also uh, her dress is different. Uh, her her whole face is different. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a lot more eyebrows and nose than she ends up having. She almost has no nose in her final character. <laughs> yeah, her, her final character is much more like 30s and 40s look. You know? Yeah. Yes. And older, like almost closer to Betty Boop's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that is so interesting. Yeah, I've never caught that. That's a, a great uh, blink and you miss it. They're only slightly different, but they're very different. Um, so we learn that there's kind of two things going on here. So Roger is being framed for this murder murder of Marvin Acme. Uh, but also Marvin Acme owned Toontown. And it, he always said that in his will, he would leave it to the tunes. So unless the will turns up by midnight, Cloverleaf, which is this uh, mysterious company that nobody's heard of, is going to own Toontown. And uh, the, no one knows what will happen to the tunes. Yeah. So Clover, this, got- clo- this mysterious Cloverleaf company just recently bought the bar. Which and they bought the, the public transport. Con- con- they bought all the public transportation. Yeah. They, bought they bought the, the red, red car. car. Yeah. Yeah. The car and the bar. They bought the car and the bar. The bar with the leaky tap that they keep a little glass underneath for all the beer to just fall into. <laughs> One of my favorite pieces of set dressings in this movie, too. Uh, the bar with the cool speakeasy hole. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very cool bar. And so at the bar, Roger is left alone very briefly and he starts entertaining all the patrons of the bar. He's singing and dancing and he's playing a song and he's breaking all their uh, all their glasses and he's uh, entertaining everyone. And this is where we get the about about of this movie, which is that laughter is the most powerful uh, force. Right. So if you make someone laugh. Not only will they love you forever like Jessica loves Roger, uh, but they'll be loyal uh, to you uh, like all these seedy patrons in this seedy bar. Uh, Judge Doom shows up and Roger's like, they won't turn me in. I made them laugh. And he's right. Yeah. That was very meaningful to me as a theme to this movie that uh, laughter and jokes and, and uh, making people laugh and smile is uh, so powerful because the contrast of that is that Eddie Valiant won't laugh, won't smile, doesn't like tunes, uh, has is become a humorless uh, drunk. But we get these snippets throughout the movie that he used to be different, that he used to have fun, that he used to like tunes, that he used to uh, be a little bit silly. And that's, you know, all in the past now. And he's not too far off from the villain. You know, we end up learning about the villain of this movie, who is also a tune, uh, who probably has lots of 
feelings of insecurity and self-hatred and so therefore banished laughter from their life and then wanted to banish all the tunes as well uh, in chase of money and capitalism there's lots of layers as with most Zemeckis movies there's so many layers <laughs> to every single thing uh that's going on but i i agree chrissy i think that is uh one of my it's a great theme in this movie is is that yeah mm-hmm. the power of laughter and uh the the angelo the guy who's like you know the worst of all of them according to Ellie, to uh to eddie he even when the judge is you know later on is going oh sophie's joining us hi sophie oh, sophie has thoughts about roger rabbit <laughs> <laughs> So when Angelo uh, is being, you know, asked by the judge, where's the rabbit? Where's the rabbit? And he pulls out the Harvey joke. He goes, oh, I, I've seen a rabbit. He's right here. Say hello, Harvey. And uh, everyone in this bar laughs at that. And I, <laughs> I turned to Abby last night and I was like, I love that all these like drunk, sad, depressed. A lot of them probably just got a lost job. These bar flies, they know American theater. They, mm-hmm. they, they've all and living in LA, they got the Harvey joke because uh-huh. they all laughed. So the, obviously, they've all seen Harvey, which I'm sure we've mm-hmm. all seen. I've seen yeah. a high school production, and it is not good. Not <laughs> I know it was a high school production, but like even objectively, not good. Uh, mm. But I love it, and and like you said, it was he's not going to turn me in. I made him laugh, and what does he do? He makes people laugh in turn. Uh, by making a joke and so yeah it's a, it's a sweet little turn and such a dated joke mm-hmm. a, even for yeah, the time I, this movie was made <laughs> i'm so yeah. curious whether rocket got the harvey reference the invisible rabbit he didn't i had to explain it to him and then did he get did he even get shaven a haircut two bits um he's heard that before just through other cartoons so uh, I don't think he like uh, really like registered it too much. He was just like, oh, I've heard that joke. You know, he's heard he's heard mm-hmm. that. Bup, 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 bup. You know, it's the same as the match in the gas tank. Boom, boom. So he's uh, he's heard it before just through other silly silliness avenues. Good. Um, Good. But he, he I had to explain to him about the Harvey joke. Mm-hmm. He didn't get it. <laughs> I wouldn't expect him to. I don't think I got no. it the first time I saw it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's like, what's that? I don't get it. And I was like, oh, it's a movie with Jimmy Stewart where there's an invisible bunny. Oh, okay. It's like Donnie Darko. Yeah. That, which is uh, Donnie Darko. He totally understands. It's a Donnie Darko reference. Just say that. So the plot thickens even further. Uh, uh, Eddie goes to see R.K. Maroon to get the rest of his money, and R.K. Maroon gets murdered by a long mm. uh, gun. And it made the movie makes it seem like Jessica did it. Yeah, and they make it seem like Jessica kidnapped Roger, and uh, uh, Eddie has to escape in uh, a, a, a cart. They're in a with a cartoon taxi they previously used to escape. Hmm. I before we go on, I so there's a point where it's like the job is gonna cost a hundred dollars. A hundred dollars, a hundred dollars in 1947 was was fifteen hundred dollars in today's okay. money. That does seem reasonable for a for for a private eye. Yeah, you know. it does. 
uh, maybe uh, not a bottom of the barrel private eye, like right. maybe not one who's crawled into a bottle, as you said. But yeah, that makes it even more intense that that inflation when Judge Doom, I was gonna say Judge Dread, goes to the bar and writes. It's like the re- re- reward is five thousand dollars, which I'm sure he wasn't gonna pay anyway. Right. But that was that 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 was seventy five grand adjusted yeah. for inflation. And he expects that, and we are expected to believe that they won't turn in Roger just because he made them laugh. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. But it worked. It worked. Um, so... You brought up you brought up Benny Chrissy, which is a beloved the character. The cab, Benny the cab from Brooklyn. Hey, about those Dodgers, the real bums, right? This is, of course, right before the <laughs> Dodgers are about to move to Los Angeles and be in that city. Uh, and uh, uh, I, the whole chase scene with the weasels and and then the real cops. Uh, I I don't know when the good time to talk about the animation and just mm-hmm. in general, like what he right. does with this now, movie. Now is a good was, time. But I feel like this might that might be the scene that where it's just so cool and it looks so good. Even now, it looks so good. Just the interactions between the humans and the tunes. I I, I think it might it's starting to maybe look a little a little dated, but I think it still looks so good. Like Chrissy, you know that I've been watching X Files a little bit lately, and I've been watching what I'm in like season seven or something right now, and I just watched. I mean, there's some awful animation and we're talking that's 10 years plus after this was made. Yeah. And this looks, and obviously it's different movie money, Spielberg money versus X-Files money, Fox money in 1990s something. But like, it's so smooth and it was so, I think like important, not just important, but like uh, uh, monumental for for kind of like cinema and this kind of anime you know mm-hmm. doing the animation with real life and and even with cgi like where would we be today with cgi if not for this movie and and for its success and popularity and everything to show like yeah you can really do this mm-hmm. uh, and and it's and you know he goes on zemeckis goes on to do lots of crazy stuff with animation and mocap and all sorts of stuff um, and this is really kind of the genesis, like, I think to him really playing around with it, uh, not playing around with mm-hmm. it, but like, is the, is the quintessence. Really I love it. I just love it. Nathan, you, that. you talk movie stuff now. I'll shut up because I want you, I want you to tell me what you think about it because I yeah. want to hear it. When you like the scene that I would always see in behind the scenes, it's almost kind of like when they're talking about movie magic and all the different, like the progression of technology and all the crazy things they did. I always, I've seen, the, I always remember the behind the scenes of where the weasels burst in mm-hmm. and he's got Roger in the dishwater and Roger pops up, pops down, and then the weasels are literally moving physical guns around the house. And just the level of like puppetry and technology that they had, you know, of, of, of basically controlling these guns from up above, of just, the handcuffs on his hand on his wrist moving all the time as he moves in just like just perfect timing. And then where Roger pops up, spits water, real water, not fake water goes back down. There's a splash 
the weasels splash the water to kind of like, you know, to say goodbye to him. Like all that work is just amazing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then in the next scene, there's a moment where um, he, Roger's in the back room and he's bouncing around the place. And in one of the takes, he, the, um, you know, uh, they, whoever was basically operating, you know, where Roger was supposed to be, knocks in, knocks the lamp that goes overhead and the lamp is swinging back and forth and back and forth. And they decide, you know what, let's use that take. Uh, and it made their life so difficult on the animation because lit and shaded, lit and shaded. And it's basically, but it became like a term bump the lamp, uh, which is you, which was used by Disney employees and like animation uh, animators for just going the extra mile to make something special. Even if the audience is, isn't even aware of it, you know, of just basically gilding the lily of making it something really unique and special and, 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 but really hard to pull off, you know? Um, yeah. Just the, the level of, of, of like innovation and, and artistry that went in just to make all this stuff seem like it's interacting when you know, if you go revisit this movie for a couple of scenes, just imagine like, like what is physical and what what they had to do in just a single shot to pull all this off and remove the characters. Like, pull yourself out of the story and just kind of marvel at the at the the filmmaking. Because I mean, there's not it's there's no CGI. CGI is not was not no. a thing. Yeah, it's really impressive and it's it's so hard to imagine like uh what all went into it, but it's easy to take for granted now. You know, I don't think Rocket was like, "Wow, look at this neat animation." He just takes it for granted that uh cartoons and people can interact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like when people watch Citizen Kane now, they're bored cuz they're like it's just a movie about a guy with a with a sled. But like back at, back in the day, people were like you look at the, you can see two things on the screen at one time. They're both clear. That's insane. What? Because they've never seen anything like everything looks. I'm not impressed by deep focus. (laughs) Yeah. Low angles. Give me a break. You put the camera in the floor. Who cares? Cameras can go in the sky. Uh, Yeah. So uh, Eddie has to go to Toontown. He takes Betty the Cab to Toontown. Everything's silly in Toontown. Uh, There's a lot of funny gags. Um, He interacts with uh, uh, Tweety Bird and stuff like that. Um, Jessica saves Eddie. And we learn that uh, Judge Doom is the bad guy. Huge surprise. Huge surprise. He wants Toontown uh, for himself. Uh, at the Acme factory, they don't. They need the will. They still need the will. The judge uh, then explains that he's retiring to uh, dismantle the red car and put freeways through Toontown, which we have to assume actually happens, as there is no Toontown in LA and there are freeways. <laughs> oh, 100%. That's absolutely what happens. 
Oh man, what is he? He wants to. He's got this huge truck full of like a hose that will spray, uh, dip, and just like eradicate Toontown. Just wipe it off the map. Completely destroy Toontown and everybody, every tune with it. I would feel like there would still be some serious legal repercussions that he's just kind of eminent domain eating. I guess right, like that's the stuff that actually happened to build, uh, to build places, to build freeways. Right? Is that's a I I, I uh, may have just watched another Zemeckis movie right before recording here. Uh, uh, used cars, and oh. that was a plot point in that movie. Is there's a new freeway ramp coming in and uh it's actually a movie that's set in arizona nice I never knew uh but yeah uh and so it seems to be a zemeckis theme early on so do you Freeways. think zemeckis, zemeckis <laughs> yeah it, it's my guess is that he's not pro freeway or anti-freeway no no but he I just he thought was it was a, funny <laughs> But it, it it you know freeways and like things like Route sixty six do change the culture. It changes yeah. the physical landscape because all the things that that Doom is talking about actually happens. You know mm-hmm. of of basically like these little you know malls and gas stations and and you know um, all these different like little commerce spots pop up all around these freeway exits. You know. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's just like seeing a a thing change. It's like when the railroads first appeared, yeah. Yeah. and how it connected and cr- created different spots of communities, and also left some behind. So we also learn that Judge Dredd is a tune, and not just any tune. He's the tune that killed Eddie's brother. Ah, what? So uh, he uh, obviously gets he gets flattened by a steamroller <laughs> and then uh, reinflates himself, uh, but he gets dipped. He gets sort of reverse dipped. He gets reverse dipped. Yeah. Um, and the truck drives through the wall to Toontown, but Eddie washes all the dip away so that the tunes all come pouring out this door and they're all like, we need everyone to sing at the end. Hurry. Yeah. <laughs> Hurry. Get in here. Tunes. Hurry. Get it faster. Cheese. Come on. Get in here. They find the will and they realize it's been written in disappearing, reappearing ink, but they find the will that leaves Toontown to the tunes. And Eddie's no longer a sourpuss, and everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. Smile, yeah. darn you, smile. You know the whole world is a great world after all. It does kind of wrap up rather quickly. It sure does. <laughs> I think. I think. I think they. There was like a. There was probably like the money being spent. It's like, oh, okay, we gotta wrap it up. All right, it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't quite the Monty Python uh, ending. We ran out of yeah. money, but right. Uh huh. <laughs> I I I think it's uh I think all of it, especially just it's such a it's a, it is a capitalism commentary quite a bit, right? Because the freeway and everything, mm. like you said, that all kind of represents progress and capitalistic growth and everything it's in cahoots with a judge the government mm-hmm. right is the ones allowing and and he bought his, and, his, his uh, the election 
Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He bought his, exactly. He bought his election. Uh, they're, they're literally erasing a race of people off the planet. Eating <laughs> the tunes. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. yeesh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> effectively execute like a, a child in front of yeah. everyone and yeah. everyone is complicit yeah. so it's this it, there's a lot of deep commentary in a lot of that I feel like uh, yep. Ral wrapped in this very fun movie about a rabbit and and, you know, and this his big booby wife and his big yeah. booby wife and, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, but it does end it ends sweetly uh and mm-hmm. i i like the happy ending for eddie and for dolores and i like the happy ending for roger and for jessica and uh obviously getting the porky pig sign off is <laughs> like had to be done which is perfect yeah uh, absolutely but uh i i also yeah i just it's it's brilliant it's brilliant yeah and so on a, a scale of one patty cake mm. to ten patty cakes, ten patty Ooh, cakes ten being patty the best, cakes. you give it ten and patty cakes? Hands down. Hands up, ten patty cakes. Hands up. Ten patty cakes. Hands up, hands down. Hands up, hands down. <laughs> hands up. <laughs> ten times. What about you, Nathan? Uh, I'm going it, it, to so go with, it's still very high, so uh, 8.5. I Like, I feel 8.5. Like... There's some stuff for me that, I, I you know that it, like it wraps up quickly. There's some stuff that I wish was, um, you know, like I I felt like I wanted a little more of an Eddie and Dolores ending too, mm-hmm. but it, she's basically kind of gone in the story, and obviously she doesn't have a lot to do. You know, it's not like she's like her kind of like tagging along doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's just. It's so creative, so fun. Um, it's yeah, eight point five is is what I'm feeling. Okay, I'm gonna go slightly higher and give it a nine because I think uh, it holds uh, up. I think it holds up uh, somewhat flawlessly. Uh, I think uh, the animation is unique enough so that even though we do have like mocap and all this crazy like CGI stuff now, that we can have uh, Thanos uh, snapping his fingers. It still holds up as being like a unique uh, vision and a unique world and a, you know, film noir for dummies. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah. Rocket really enjoyed it. You know, this is, so, yeah, uh, this is a good gateway for like film noir. It's like kid noir, you know, exactly, exactly. Kid and noir. That's exactly mm-hmm. what they should name it. Kid noir. It, it. Rocket at no point was like not involved in the in the viewing of the film. He was he was definitely engaged and was interested in the whole time. He never got bored with it. So I think it holds up. So I give it a nine. Um, and I, I, I think the, it was a great I, watch. Uh, Eddie, we talk about in film noir. Eddie Valiant, his hat rack is a falcon when he comes into his his apartment his hat rack is a falcon so there's like all these little nods to noir throughout Mm -hmm. it uh uh, constantly which i love uh and yeah (laughs) so So what about a deep cut recommendation Mm. Uh, nathan do you have one I do. Thank God. Sometimes these are so hard. <laughs> and yeah. you, um, so yeah, I was trying to think of my. So what I ended up on. So this this movie is. It's not kind of the blended world of 
live action and cartoons, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, it kind of is. It's the blend of live action and video games. Mm, and and okay. it still has to thread that line of how does the normal reality we live in interact with this meta magic? And like okay. the, 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 the surface one version of that would be ready player one, but that's not where I'm going. Uh, my recommendation is Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Okay, so, good. Which I, I feel is as imaginative and as adept at blending those worlds together and creating a brand new reality that I wish we could be in, you know. And it is mm. just as de- deadly and 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 chaotic as well. You know, <laughs> at any point you could just explode in a bunch of quarters. <laughs> yep. I love it. That's a great recommendation. Uh, what is yours, Nathan Blackwell? I'm not. I mean, Nathan, Na- Blackwell. Nathan no. Porter. No. I was not the Nathan Blackwell, point. too. <laughs> uh, well, I will say Nathan Blackwell's choice of Scott Pilgrim versus the world is like the, I was trying to think of that movie, I think, when I was trying oh to think of the deep cut. Uh, I love that's one of my another one of my favorites. I've probably watched it not as many as Roger Rabbit, but quite a few times by one of mm-hmm. my favorite directors, Edgar Wright. I think I've yes. seen every single one of his movies. I've seen almost every Zemeckis. There's a few out there I still haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I for my deep cut, I was tempted to go with Zemeckis. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, Beowulf and Used Cars, two I referenced earlier, are ones I thought about going with because Beowulf, while not like great movie is just very interesting to watch how they do and especially with all the you know mocap stuff and then used cars is just a ridiculous silly movie uh uh, (laughs) that i just recommend anyone watch anytime but i decided to go a slightly different route and like i'm glad i thought nathan was maybe going down this lane uh five years after this movie was made good old bob hoskins did another joint okay with johnny legs called okay. Super Mario Brothers. Oh. <laughs> so we're taking oh my we're gosh. taking uh doing the move. I'm basically you know, it's a movie that takes I, other IP mm-hmm. in Super Mario Brothers, right? Just kind of like this takes a lot of IP, all the IP from Disney and Warner Brothers and everything. Uh it's a movie that's got portals between <laughs> different worlds and it's the blending of a diff- of two different worlds. So uh, uh, this is also Abby was like, you have to choose Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> oh my god! Uh-huh. God, I think she's totally right. And then we tried to like we I was actually we tried to watch that before recording tonight, and uh, you can only buy it like the DVD. You can't stream it anywhere. What they yeah. want it erased from existence? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm going Super Mario Brothers, Super wow. Mario Bros, wow. whatever it was called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Doing it. Well, uh, Nate McCorder, you actually mentioned my deep cut recommendation as being not as good as this cantina, as the uh, uh, the speakeasy in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I recommend at Disneyland the Star Wars Cantina because it is the closest you can get to being in a movie that you love. Okay. So all of Disneyland, of course, is a perfect recommendation for this movie. You've got Buena Vista Street. You've got the red car. 
Um, it really does look like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You've got Toontown, of course. You've got the Roger Rabbit ride, of course. But the Star Wars Cantina is so immersive and so like the movie that it really is like you get to step out of reality and step into Star Wars land and then even further into the world of this, uh, you know, not animated, but this fantastical, impossible uh, world where they've got like the DJ is playing the songs and everybody's in costume and they're in character and you're just like, that's as real as you can get in a fake world. Mm. So that's what Roger Rabbit made me think of. In addition to thinking about all the things in Disneyland that are um, Roger Rabbit adjacent, I think the Star Wars Cantina is the realest fake thing mm-hmm. in our world. Nice. nice. Yeah. And I think we we can't go away without talking about Ready Player One and Cool World. Cool world. Oh, my God. Oh, how embarrassing. <laughs> oh, my God. So cool world. So imagine like a version, a much hornier version <laughs> of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So mm-hmm. 1992, Ralph Bakshi, you know, uh, an early, early performance by Brad Pitt. Ooh, mm. so young. He's so yeah. young. Yeah. I don't remember anything good. Kim Basinger? Yes, Kim Basinger playing the sexualized bombshell. Now, it's not like a ripoff of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, if you know nothing of Cool World. It's more kind of like, oh my god, we can get this movie green-lighted now because of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. We're basically... A human is lost in Toontown, but it's kind of, was it rated R? Oh, yeah. Had to be. Yeah, let's find out. We didn't want to, but yeah. And then then Ready Player One is the only other time I can think of where all those properties... We're together. It was kind of like. Oh, it's PG-13. Cool World um, is PG-13. Which is a surprise because it had a a much more. um, Sexy. Sexy horniness to it. You Mm -hmm. know, Um, a little more perverse. Um, Yeah. So that was Cool World. Um, (laughs) Not Ready Player One. But yeah. Yeah. but yeah, of all those different, like it, what I feel like they got all those again, Steven Spielberg. But they got all those different IPs mm-hmm. to come together because of Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. It's like we're gonna yeah. do another Roger Rabbit. You know, it's and like don't, the and last... don't you want in on it? You yes, want in it, on this? Exactly. Um, we don't get Space Jam without Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Yeah, straight up, Space Jam doesn't happen without Roger Rabbit. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh so look, you can pair bugs with anybody; it'll be successful. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! So All there's right. ups and downs, yeah. you know, unintended All consequences right. of uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit that no one could control. 
No one can control. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sticking around to the end. If you want to learn more about where you can find uh, Nathan Blackwell and Chrissy Lenz, go to our show page on truestory.fm. You'll have links to uh, all of uh, all the various things that we do out in the world. We'll also include uh, links to uh nate mccorder's various projects and sundries and things um but just in case uh someone doesn't have the time to go to truestory.fm nathan blackwell where can they find your work uh squishystudios.com um is the best place um that uh will lead to our socials and all those uh those wonderful different things um if you want to check out the the feature film uh, that I did that's in f- film festivals right now. Uh, the last movie ever made is on, uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram. And that's probably the best way. We're also on Twitter. I'm not going to call it by any other name, uh, okay. but we rarely update that page. So I <laughs> check us yeah. out on Instagram or Facebook. Excellent. Uh, Nate McCorder, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me Friday nights, mostly at the neighborhood comedy theater and downtown. Mesa, Arizona, go to nctphoenix.com for tickets and details. We do shows on Saturday night, too, but I'm really trying to promote the Friday shows because uh, we just need some people out there at the Friday night shows. They're really awesome. They're really fun. And also, last night, I'm there the most. So go on a mm-hmm. Saturday. If you if if you want to see some awesome short form, go on Friday. If you want to see some super awesome long form. Woo! Where can people hear you on? Uh, oh, and different... also, you can hear me also on this podcast network, True Story FM, on Gank That Drank with my co host, Chrissy Lenz, uh, where we navigate the world that is supernatural, our favorite TV show. And we do it not sober. No, we do it while playing uh, at drinking games that we make up and hopefully are good and sometimes are and sometimes are not. Sometimes they're too good. And those are the fun episodes. Sometimes they're too good. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of times they've been so good. good. We've had to call and say, can we record tomorrow? The game yeah. is too good. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, which is going to bring us to our bonus content. So if you still want more of Nate, Nate and Chrissy, uh, you want to hang around, become a member of the podcast. You get a little bit of bonus content. And today's bonus content is going to be us trying to convince Nathan Blackwell to watch a show he's never seen i've never i've never seen a single episode of supernatural the show you have devoted a podcast to so you guys are gonna sell me on it and tell me how to how to best kind of tap in maybe what we'll do is so you'll sell me on it why it's good uh and then maybe instead of like recommending like specific episodes uh maybe you recommend like the specific episodes that you covered on your podcast. Like, so, oh, so in other words, perfect. the podcast episodes that you, you really think are good ones and the episodes that, okay. that go with that. So, yeah. Perfect. So that's what we're doing next. If you want to listen to it, become a member. It's so cheap. It's only $5. It's like uh, the easiest thing you'll ever do. Um, so do that for us. Like, rate, review, star, subscribe, thumbs up, all of those things. We appreciate you so much. Uh, and Hey, While you're out there in the world, be sure to keep the most excellent 80s movies podcast motto in mind. Be excellent to each other and party Party on, dudes.
I can't do it. So I, you know, this should have been a story that we we had in the in the the um in the podcast. But I was obsessed with that that noise of trying to reproduce that, like as a kid, and try to get attention Mm -hmm. to it. So please, you're really good at it. Oh my gosh, we should have had that. This is staying in the main content. This is staying. Uh, Just for the bonus content. (laughs) 